Oh, I forgot to play the music. You want to be hardcore. You want to be extreme. Well, if you're like the Sandman, then you're listening to the podcast Drunk Wrestling History, dudes. And please be drunk when you hear it. I kept Phoenix in business in the late 90s. Mike Austin might have fucked to knock his wife. But just say no to this pay-per-view. Wait, were you making a death joke? Told you we should have gone to the donkey show. Stop choking yourself. It's either death or defecation. Woo! What's up, drunk marks and drunk marquettes? Welcome to 205 Jive. I'm Adam. I'm your designated host. They are our wonderful drunk wrestling historians. This is Eddie. Step off. I'm doing the hump. And this is Scott, educating the masses one drink at a time. Thank you all very much for joining us. We have a tribute episode for all of you today. So by the time you hear this, uh, definitely a lot of time has passed. As of this recording, I would say it's been now two weeks or two, two three or th- weeks, two, three weeks or so. So Wrestling World uh, lost a good one. I'm I'm sorry. The wrestling world lost a wonderful one uh, a few weeks ago. Therefore, today's episode is dedicated to Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Yeah, man, that was another one of those hard ones. Like you get, you end up getting a couple wrestlers dead a year, and once a year, every other year, you get one where you're like, oh, like it just hits you. You know what I mean? Like one of those guys who you just. You grew up watching, you loved, you were a huge fan of, and Paul Orndorff was one of those guys. Yeah, I always equate it to losing kind of a piece of your childhood. You know, we grew up watching him, and he was such a big part of it. And one of the things I'll always remember is Paul Orndorff is the first guy in wrestling that I fucking hated. And why did I hate him? Because his turn on Hogan was the first heel swerve I ever witnessed on television. I had just started kind of watching wrestling around like 85. So I got to see the kind of the evolution of Paul Orndorff. But when I first got introduced, he was a face. It was around WrestleMania 1. He was just kind of turning away. And when he turned on Hogan, oh, man, I fucking hated Paul Orndorff's guts. And that just meant he was doing his job well. Totally, yeah. And Orndorff's the guy that like a lot of those things. I don't really remember him turning on Hogan. But, I, you know, I vaguely remember because I was pretty young, you know, so like he got there like in 84. I would have been like five years old. You know, I was a little kid. Yeah. So it's one of those things where it's like I saw it. I I watched it. But your memory only goes back so far. But right. he was my earliest me- my literal my literal first memory of wrestling was Paul Orndorff and Hogan in the cage on Saturday Night's main event, which we're going to get into in this episode. But um. Yeah, I was just, man, I was like, that was too bad. And it's another one of those guys gone. And I was like, damn, dude, like everyone besides T from the main event of one is dead. Because it's Orndorff's dead. Piper's dead. Um, well, Hogan's Snook not dead. Is dead. Let's not put him in the grave Well, yet. Hogan's dead to me. Oh, oh no. Um, oh, no. Um, Orton's still alive. Yeah. But the Patterson's dead. You know? Like. Yes. It's. Yeah. It's like, wow. Like, they're almost all gone. And, well, who was the commentators? Gorilla? And Jesse probably, right? Gorilla's dead. Yeah, Gorilla's passed. Yeah, 
like uh, Patterson, like all those guys, they're all gone. The Fink, yeah, the Fink Even was Liberace. the announcer. Liberace's dead. Ali is dead. Right? Is Billy Martin dead? Billy Martin's got to be dead, right? Billy Martin's dead. Yeah. Every Rockette is dead. <laughs> right. <laughs> or dead to us anyway. Fuck the Rockettes. <laughs> yeah. Right. They're Hogan status. Right. Um, yeah, but Orndorff was fantastic. He was as good as... He's as good as they got. Like, there weren't a lot of people... Very few people back then got to that guy's level. So just to quickly go into his background, he grew up in Virginia. Now, Hogan claims that he and Orndorff went to rival high schools in Tampa. And I was like, well, but he grew up in Virginia, so that doesn't make sense. But right. then I was like, well, maybe Hogan misspoke because Orndorff did go to um, University of Tampa, so maybe he meant they went to rival colleges. Hogan went to a community college in Tampa. Adam, you're the sports guy. Does that make sense for the University of Tampa to be rival schools with a Tampa community college? Hell to the fucking no. Okay, so it's another <laughs> fucking Hogan lie. Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> no. So, especially, so one of the details I looked up, he would eventually uh, get drafted by the New Orleans Saints. Mm-hmm. So, if you're rival University of Tampa, if you're rivaling with someone, it's going to be another university. Uh, is or, rivaling uh, a verb? I don't know. Don't I don't, it is now. It, yes. We in just the made context it of this show. We're gonna make it work. Uh, but it's like, you, yeah, University of Tampa maybe against uh, UCF or uh, University of Miami. You're at that Division One level, community college. You're, it, I mean, at least you're playing sports, but you're not at that competitive level. Okay, I didn't think so. I just I thought that was another Hogan fucking lie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you said, he signed with the Saints. He pretty quickly quit, or he he quit during training camp. He said that he quit because he wanted to wrestle. It seemed to me that it didn't work out because then he ended up going to training camp for Chicago, and then he signed with the Jacksonville Express of the World Football League, but got hurt, and that was the end of his wrestling career in 1976. Anyone? Uh, I didn't Anyone? go. I didn't go Bueller? further into that, but. Uh, he, okay. Yeah, he did. He did get there. It's just that league definitely didn't last. So I guess maybe right call to find other entrepreneurial uh, options. Right. So he started wrestling in Memphis in '76, and right away he was working with Lawler. So like that was a big deal. That's a big deal to be a rookie working with the top guy. Lawler was like without question the top guy in Memphis. Lawler would still be the top guy in Memphis right now. Yeah, exactly. But that kind of became a trend for Orndorff, like enter a territory, immediately step into a program with the top guy. Which is kind of out of the ordinary for a guy um, that new to the business. But then you look at him and you're like, that totally fucking makes sense why Mm -hmm. they did that. Totally. Yeah, he was a great athlete. Great look. Um, I I love how he used to say he looked like Robert Redford. Yeah, if Robert Redford looked like Hulk Hogan from the neck down. <laughs> yeah, right. If that's the case, um, I want to see a remake of The Sting with him all jacked up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he ended up being tag team champion with Jimmy Snuka, which I was surprised to read that. I was surprised. I didn't realize uh, Jimmy Snuka ever worked uh, that far down south. I thought he worked in uh, for Crockett for a minute, but I always thought of him as a guy from the West Coast and the North. I didn't think... Uh, 
I had no idea he worked down south. Yeah, maybe with the NWA, because it seemed like every territory that was not WWF was NWA. So no matter where you went, yeah, it seemed like it was NWA, so you were bound to cross paths. Yeah, or Vern, right. But that was pretty much just Minnesota. But yeah, it seems like everywhere else was NWA, so you were going to be crossing paths with somebody. And it was weird that they would cross paths later at WrestleMania 1. Yeah, totally. Um, He went to Alabama. He won the tag team titles a couple times. He worked with a guy called Norvell Austin. Have you ever heard of Norvell Austin, Scott? Yes, I have. Okay, I've never heard of him. Did you know that he was called the Junkyard Dog and was not the Junkyard Dog? Now, Norvell, uh, didn't he team with Coco Beware at one point as well, or he was feuding with Coco Beware? I didn't find any information about Norvell Austin. Okay. So you would know better than I would. Okay, yeah, I think he was tied up with Coco Beware at some point. Either he, he was feuding with him, or they were tag team at some point. But yeah, I think he had something to do with Coco Beware. But again, like there's always a connecting thread with these guys from the mm-hmm. 70s and the 80s. Totally. Yeah, the only reason I even wrote his name down was because he used to call himself Junkyard Dog. I thought that was really interesting that there were two of them at that point well, in there different were also territories. Two Nature Boys. Go figure. Weren't there three? Wasn't there? Didn't Buddy Rogers take the name from someone oh, else too? Right. Yeah, you're right. I think there was somebody that he took that from. Yeah. I'd have to. Adam, can you fact check that? I'm on it. Who Buddy Rogers got his name from. Um, so he went to Mid-South in 1980. <laughs> he had a match with the Grappler in Mid-South for the North American Championship. He overslept. Like when that dude had to run the marathon on Seinfeld and slept through it. <laughs> um, so Jake, Good analogy. Yeah, so Jake Roberts took his place and he won the title. Paul Paul Orndorff turned heel on him, and he ended up winning the title from Jake uh, July 3rd, 1981. October 1st, 1981, he lost it to Ted DiBiase because he had car trouble. And I was like, what's with this guy always missing fucking matches? Like, this is weird. Right. Um, like he's unreliable. Yeah, he's unreliable. So Bob Roop got the title shot. He won. And um, then it came out that Bob Roop broke Paul Orndorff's car. Uh, I see. So they were able to work it into a storyline. Yeah. So it was like, okay, like twice he got fucked out of a a title match because of shit like that. Which, I don't know. That's like twice in one year. That just kind of seemed like lazy booking. Um, Yeah, kind of. Yeah. He went to Georgia after that, won the NWA National Heavyweight Championship. And he kind of, he just vacated it. He was like, fuck this. I want flair. This is six months in the territory. Right away. You know, within six months, (laughs) he was like... He won the championship, the uh, the national heavyweight championship. Got rid of it because he's like, "Fuck this! I want bigger and better. I'm going after Flair." Couldn't beat Flair. Um, then he had a few with Zabisco. <laughs> this is where it's funny. Zabisco Zabisco couldn't beat him, so he paid Killer Tom Brooks twenty five thousand to because uh, then he had the championship again. He paid him twenty five thousand to get the championship from him. Um. Brooks won it, gave it to, he hit him with a chair, gave it to Zabisco, and Bob Geichel stripped him of it, which is very Hogan and Andre. Yep. Right? But I was like... And he, also not the first time that Orndorff would have a bounty on his head. No, it was the first time. It wasn't, it wasn't the last time. Well, Correct, yes. Yeah, but I was like, fucking Zabisco, dude. I was never a Zabisco fan, and I'm like, this is why. What kind of chump pays $25,000 to win a secondary title? 
Good point. I mean, at least Ted DiBiase had the good sense to like buy the heavyweight title. Yeah, he was like, "Go beat Hogan for me and give me the world title." No, Zabisco's right. like, "Give me the uh, national heavyweight championship, whatever the fuck that is." M- yeah, must have been managed by Loki. <laughs> Loki or Caval? You remember? From oh, my, that from Loki. last episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Yeah, okay. That Loki. Right, 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 right. I thought you were talking about like that, the real Loki. Yeah. Uh, so he went to New Japan after that. He teamed with Brutus, of all people, and uh, worked with Inoki and Seiji, Seiji uh, Sakaguchi, which I had no idea he ever worked in Japan. That was actually kind of cool to read. But then we get into where things got really good. He debuted in January 23rd, 1984 in WWE. Do you know what else happened on that same show, Scott? I do, but go ahead. That's the night that Hogan beat the Iron Sheik for the world title. So Paul Orndorff was technically born in WWF the same day as Hulkamania. Right. And this is no, I mean, it was no coincidence there. Right. Like clearly Vince brought him in to be a top guy and to work with Hogan. Like we're pushing Hogan to the fucking moon. We need a big deal heel to work with him. And like a month into Orndorff's run in the WWF, who's he working with? Hulk Hogan. Hogan. Yeah, so now I heard an interview with him years and years ago, and he said that he'd worked babyface a lot, but when he got there, he knew he would never be the top babyface, so he wanted to work as a heel so he could work with Hogan, because he was like, if I can't be the top guy, I want to be the guy to work with the top guy, because I want to make as much money as I possibly can. Make your money, exactly. Yeah, and that was, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, that's smart. Like, now a lot of guys would be like, no, I want to be a babyface because I want to sell merch. Right. But back then, it was all about getting that top spot, you know? Um, and it wasn't guaranteed money back then. You know, you got paid according to where you were on the card. So right. that was a really wise move. So he worked with Hogan for like six months. Goes, drops down a bit, goes into a few with Tito for the IC title. But then pretty quickly, he gets hooked up with Piper. Um, Piper became his manager. And then right away, they go back to, he goes back to work with Hogan. Yep. Yeah, which is crazy. Like, that shows how much WWF thought of him to put them with their number one guy now twice. And that was not the WWE's normal way of doing things normally. And it it, it all came from Vince's dad. If you go back, if you look at the way they booked shows in the 60s and 70s, it would be bring in a monster heel, have him work with the top baby face, have a few matches, lose. That guy gets dropped to the bottom of the card or leaves the territory. And the yeah, champion moves distance. on to the next guy. Yep. So to right away, you know, fairly quickly within a matter of months, go back into the top spot with the top babyface, that's very different. And that was part of it was Vince booking a little differently, but it was that's how damn good Paul Orndorff was. Exactly. Yeah, they thought very highly of him. Yeah, he was like, he commanded a top spot. Um and he was good on the stick. Like I think his he interviews are highly great. underrated, dude. Like he cut a great heel promo. Oh my god, he was great. He was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. He was so good. Um so <laughs> around this time, so now we're so they had the match at WrestleMania. The tag match. Um, they lose. He ends up blaming Piper for it. And Well, let's f- not overlook that. Okay, like you mentioned he's in a tag match at WrestleMania one. Okay. This is 
make or break for Vince McMahon and his future. Right. This is WrestleMania. One. If this event fails, WWE as we know it today is not here. And I've heard, you know, Vince exaggerates things and WWE exaggerates things to make Vince look better. Sure. Um, so I always question like how much of that's true, but I've heard other, I've heard, I heard Roddy Piper say Vince mortgages house, you know, like I've not right. only heard this from Vince, I've heard it from a lot of people of like everything that dude had was riding on this one show and you pick four guys and one of them is a TV star. Um, yep. And these are the guys who are in charge of selling tickets, selling closed circuit sales, everything. And Paul Orndorff yep. was one of them. So you put your top star in the company mm-hmm. with a television star of one of the biggest TV shows going in 1985, which was the A-Team. So you have Hogan and Mr. T. Who do you put him in the ring with? You put him in the ring with your two biggest heels. Mm-hmm. At that time, that was Piper and that was Paul Orndorff. Right. That, I mean... There were no bigger stars in the WWF taking Mr. T out of the equation than Hogan, Piper, and Orndorff. Like, those were the guys. The only thing that could have been bigger than this was the main event of WrestleMania three. That's the only other match that would have been greater than what they could have put on at WrestleMania one. That shows you the stock they put in Mr. Wonderful. He was that big of a deal. You're totally right. Yeah, if you were to pick the two biggest matches of the 80s, those would probably be the two. Because Hogan and Warrior was 90. So uh, right. those would have those been the two. Those were the two biggest. Yeah, and I mean, you can say whatever you want about WCW match or NWA or even uh, AWA shit. There was the um, Von Erich versus Flair match, shit like that. Well, sure. These yeah, but were, we're the, just talking WWF. Like, this was Vince's future writing on this card. Yeah, but WWF was on a, a different level from everyone else, you know? Of you, course. You of course. The biggest matches were in WWF. Absolutely. You know? But Vince needed this to succeed. And who does he put that on the shoulders of? You put it on four guys in the ring, and Mr. Wonderful is one of those four. Totally, totally. Now, Adam, um, I asked you to fact check something a minute ago. I'm very drunk, and I forgot what it was, but I can tell by the way you're looking at the camera. So it's uh, Buddy Rogers Hughes, the original Nature Boy. Origins are that uh, under being a pure athlete, or at least uh, just from a few sites that I saw, it was just he was a natural guy therefore evolved it to become the original nature boy. He walked around with his dick out. That's what made him the nature boy. <laughs> he rocked out with his dick out. Yes, he did. Okay, so we were wrong about there being a nature boy before that. So there's only two. Yeah. Look, yeah, it looks like because uh they they did end up uh, wrestling each other at some point. I don't see any other reason why there would be another it would be more like a torch passing uh, okay. between the there two. There were two two nature boys, two junkyard dogs, but only one Mr. Wonderful. Um, so, this is what happens. So Mr. Wonderful did, around this time when he was like, you know, going hard as a heel, he did this great vignette on Tuesday Night Titans. Scott, I just sent you the video the other day. So I came across yes. this maybe two, three years ago. So since the network came out, which is now Pacock, I started watching every episode of Tuesday Night Titans from start to finish. I only got maybe, I don't know, 30 episodes into it or something. But I saw this. It's the greatest thing ever. I saw this video where Paul Orndorff is training people in a gym. And he's just 
he's such a dick. He's telling him, he's like, look, you're never going to look like me. You're never going to be built like me because I'm better than you and this and that. And I want to play a clip of it. Um, <laughs> Scott, I said it to you and you were like, holy shit. So I'm going to play, like, it's, I don't know, about a 45-second clip, uh, if you will. So please, <laughs> this is great. You know, this woman here is totally, totally so far gone that, uh, I don't know if there's anything to be done for her or not, if you want to know the truth. She's so far overweight. But as I can see, she's got all her teeth. You know, most fat women that I know don't have teeth. She does have all her teeth, I will say that. Keep going, keep going. A few extra reps ain't going to hurt you. But you know, it's one thing that a person right there is a perfect example of a person that has no pride in their self. No pride in their self, no pride in their body. It's disgusting. I don't like it. I don't even like to be around people like this here. Keep going. It ain't going to hurt you. Just keep going. Keep grunting them out. You need a lot of work. And you need to stay away from that table. You stay at the table. I'm sure the whole family's probably gone off and in bed asleep, and you're still sitting at the table eating. Am I right or wrong? I bet you go up and down them steps every night long getting in that refrigerator eating something, aren't you? Right? Mm -hmm. Well, this has got to stop. This has got to stop because there's no need in that. <laughs> Whatever I say, that's right. <laughs> How great is that? He's just like letting her have it. And dude, if you watch the video, this woman is like, she's got, she's like 30 pounds overweight. <laughs> I mean, she's right. Not, she's right. Not, but she disgusts him. <laughs> I, I don't like it. <laughs> like, so I bet Mr. Wonderful never went to Golden Corral because everyone <laughs> looks like that woman. Well, I've never been in Golden Growl either because I don't live in the valley like you. <laughs> okay, every woman looks like that woman. <laughs> Mr. Wonderful would be disgusted. It's funny that he's like, your family's starving because you eat all the food. You, you need to stay away from the table. Stay away from the table. That shit would totally not fly today. That's but in the 80s, that's the kind of shit that made you a top-of-the-card heel. And that's exactly what I thought when I watched this. Because I was like, man, this would not work today. Because everyone would get on fucking Twitter and be like, they're fat-shaming her. And he's bullying her. And this and that. And I'm like, this is why I hate fucking wrestling. And why I hate wrestling fans. Because it's one of those things where people say like, oh, he's playing a character. And this and that, and but then people act like it's real when something happens they don't like. What he's bullying her, and it's like, yeah, no, he of course he's bullying her. He's a fucking heel. He's a despicable person. He's a bad person. But for some reason with wrestling, I don't know what it is. People don't get what's going on. Like you're totally right. It wouldn't work now. People would just destroy it on social media, and then WWE would back off of it. And it's like, no, that's good heat. Like that's good. And I don't know why in wrestling people can't just be like, I want to see this guy get beat. Instead, they're like, I want this off my TV. It's like a bunch of, I don't know, man, like soft pussy wrestling fans. Like, you don't get mad when Kylo Ren kills people. You want to see him get his ass kicked. But when it's wrestling, people get, they take it personally or something. Right. It was okay when Thanos threw his daughter off of a cliff. Exactly. But God forbid... Yeah, it's ridiculous. Right, when Alexa was calling Nia Jax fat, social media went fucking crazy, and they were like, she's bullying her and fat-shaming her, and this is disgusting, and I can't believe WWE's doing this. And I'm like, have you ever watched wrestling? Yeah, you have to wait for the payoff, dummy. Yeah, and that's one of the things I miss the most about wrestling, and that's 
why I loved Paul Orndorff because he was like that. I mean, he just and it's I'll give credit to Vince because I guarantee Vince produced that segment. But what a oh, mother- Vince loved that segment. Oh dude. my god, what a motherfucker! Like that was stiff. He fucked her up. And I bet they showed up at the gym that day, and they're just like, grab five people, make sure one of them is a fat chick. <laughs> That's what went down. Because it's funny, the two guys that they had in the skit actually were pretty put together. Right. So he couldn't really talk too much shit about them, but Vince loved that shit with the overweight woman. Oh, yeah, with the dudes, Guaranteed. he was just like, yeah, with the dudes, he was just like, you don't have arms like me. You'll never have arms like me. You just can't be yeah. like this. Just forget about it. You're never going to look like me. But yeah, he fucked her up. Oh, dude, and that's what made a great heel. Yes, mm-hmm. it was wrong. Yes, it was horrible. But it made you hate his guts. Yeah, totally. It worked. It worked. Yeah, it's not that you agreed with what he was saying. You hated what he was saying, and mm-hmm. therefore you hated him. Yeah. You wanted to see the top face in the company beat the shit out of him. Totally. And you're going to spend money on a ticket to watch it happen. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. You mark. So after WrestleMania, he ends up turning face. They blame each other. Piper blames him for losing. He blames Piper for losing. He turns face. He fires Bobby Heenan, which I forgot to mention. Bobby Heenan was with him at that point, right? Yes. Heenan was his manager at that point. Like Piper kind of like handed him off. Yeah. So he turns face and he's like Hogan's buddy. Um, He ends up getting a feud with Roddy Piper. Piper's going after that bounty that, 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 uh, well, I don't know if we mentioned that. Heenan put a bounty on him. We so didn't again, mention, we, we mentioned the previous bounty. A, yeah, Orndorff has a bounty on him again. Right, so Piper goes after him for the bounty, and the match just got so out of hand that Bruno had to be brought in as a special referee. Yes. Then it turned into a tag match with him and Bruno against Orton Piper, so you're like, holy shit, now he's working with Bruno, who at that point was a not the current star, but was like he was the legend that Hogan would become later. Right, so we mentioned Bruno in the Brutus the Barber Beefcake episode, how Brutus wrestled David San Martino Mm -hmm. at Mm -hmm. one. Yeah. In 2021, that doesn't seem like a big deal, but going back to 1985, David San Martino was the son of one of the biggest stars ever in the WWF, Bruno San Martino. Yeah. So you're not really pitting Brutus against David, you're really pitting Brutus against Bruno San Martino, which was a great deal for Brutus. That's an even bigger deal for Orndorff to be teaming with uh, Bruno San Martino, who was still a legend, and the fans, like especially at the Garden, fucking loved Bruno. Totally. That gives Orndorff a gigantic rub. Not only Bruno, they teamed him up with Andre. Andre was after Bruno, yeah. So like that's that's as big as it gets. So now R- really the, like that's that's next to Hogan. So right? in a year and like, a half, he's worked with Hogan, Andre, Bruno, and Piper. And And in the main event of one. Like, Mm -hmm. this guy obviously has a rocket on his back. Like, they have great aspirations for the character of Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. They love him. Yep. So then he gets into a deal with Adrian Adonis. And (laughs) Adrian's fucking with him. And he's like, Hogan isn't really your friend. He's like, of course he is. And then Adonis has him call Hogan on the phone on the air. And Hogan can't come to the phone because he's working out. And Paul's fucking embarrassed <laughs> and pissed off. And yeah. then he ends up teaming up with Hogan against Bundy and Stud. And they do the thing where they collide into each other. And then Hogan starts getting his ass kicked. And Orndorff eventually saves him. But after the match, that's when he hits the pile driver. And that's the heel turn you're talking about that you remember. Yeah, that was the first swerve that I ever witnessed. 
mm-hmm. where a good guy that like I loved Mr. Wonderful, like he was one of my favorites because he was at the top of the card. He was in the ring with Bruno. He was in the ring with Andre. Like this dude's a big deal. I like him. Then you watch Saturday morning and they're replaying the clip of this match. You saw the tension ahead of time. They're backstage. They're doing the whole cameras back there during a conversation between Hogan and Orndorf. Orndorf's pissed that Hogan was mid-squat, couldn't take his phone call. And Hogan's <laughs> like like a jealous girlfriend or something. And uh, you could just see the tension where in like mid-squat. 2021. Right. Right. Go ahead. I'm not the one peeing into a bag, though. Okay. So... In 2021, you see this shit go down. You're like, okay, clearly they're going to build up to a tag team breaking up. But as a kid watching in 1986 when this happened, you had no idea this was going to go down. Totally. This is all brand new stuff. So I'm watching like, okay, great. The faces are going to beat up on Stud and Bundy. And at the end of the match, you're like, oh, no, Mr. Wonderful hurt his eye. Like, he's obviously hurt. That's why he's not helping Hogan. Then he gets in the ring and he's helping Hogan up and boom, clothesline. You're like, what the fuck? Then yeah. he pile drives them, and yeah. you're like, I hate this motherfucker. That is where, like, I developed – that's where I became, like, a true mark. Right. Right? Like, I hated Mr. Wonderful for ruining that partnership with Hogan. Now, if I was a little bit younger, my first memory of a swerve might either be Barry Windham turning on Lex Luger against the Horseman, or it would be Macho Man – turning on Hogan to dissolve the mega powers. But this was my first memory of a swerve. Hogan and, and I Macho, hated Mr. Wonderful. Hogan and Macho might be my first memory. But like I was saying, it's just like, I'm sure I saw stuff that I don't, my memory doesn't go that far back. Gotcha. Okay. Um. So when he turns on Hogan, he gets Heenan back as his manager. Yep. And here's what, was, here's what was great. I forgot about this until I started doing my drunk wrestling homework. He stole Hogan's fucking music. <laughs> that was amazing. Because the music at, hits and the fans go crazy. And Hogan at the time, I think, was still the only guy with music. Uh, no, Junkyard Dog had music, dude. Oh, Dog. You're right. You're right. Dog had music at that point. Okay. Yep. But, okay, so he's one of two people who had music. And Orndorff stole the fucking music. And I forgot that till I started watching that um, cage match. And he came to the ring, and I was like, is something up with uh, the Adelon Pekak? And then, <laughs> and then I think either Jesse or Vince mentioned it, and they were like, oh, yeah, we've heard this music already when Hogan came out because Paul Orndorff stole his music. And that's where we get into, like I said earlier, my first memory of wrestling, where it was Hogan, Paul Orndorff on Saturday Night's main event. And I... All I remember is I watched the show. I wouldn't have watched it if I wasn't already watching wrestling. You know, I, I wouldn't have stayed up all night to watch that on Saturday if I'd never seen wrestling before. So I know I watched wrestling before, but this is my earliest memory. And, dude, I went wa- I went back and watched the match. It was still a good match. They got in the ring in, in the cage, the old school blue cage. They beat the fucking shit out of each other. Yeah, the blue cage beating the crap out of each other. Yeah, and... um. It was really good back and forth, the first part. Hogan climbs out of the cage. No, they both climbed out of the cage. Um, Danny Davis came down to the ring, inserted himself into the match as the referee. And they both hit the floor at the same time. And I remember watching, I was like, oh my god, what's going on? This is fucking crazy. Yes. They called it a tie, which no one's ever heard of a tie in wrestling. They actually went to replay. 
they went to the replay, and I'm, you're watching it. You cannot tell who hit the the floor first. Jesse the body said that Orndorff hit hit the floor three one hundredths of a second earlier. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and I don't know if they both landed that perfectly, or if it was uh, post production. You know, because those shows were edited. Like those, right. they weren't they weren't live. Only Cena and Batista were capable of pulling something like that off. <laughs> yeah, With it was very Cena and Batista. Precision. <laughs> yeah, yes. you're right. I hadn't even thought about that. It was very Cena and Batista. Um, so they restart the match, and Hogan gets out there. He beats the fuck out of Paul Orndorff. Whips yeah. his ass. He smashes his face into the cage. Orndorff bleeds for no reason. Because right after he bleeds, and he barely bleeds, and it's always to me, it's always weird when the heel bleeds and loses. You know what I mean? Like you, yes. Like you think it'd be like Austin, the baby face bleeds and overcomes, but no. Right. Orndorff bled. Hogan gets in. I mean, uh, not Hogan. Heenan gets in. Goes after Hogan. Hogan whips his fucking ass, and then Hogan ends up going out, uh, climbing out of the cage while Orndorff's going out the door. And I was watching. I was like, this is fantastic, great '80s wrestling, where the manager gets in, gets the shit kicked out of him. And he ended up taking bumps like nobody's business. And it was a great fucking match. I loved it. And that's my earliest memory of wrestling. Were you aware that there was a house show at the Oakland Coliseum the very same night that this match aired? No. I, I mean, was at that house show. Was it Hogan and Orndorff from the main event? No, it was not. It was either, and I can't remember... Which guy it was. It was either Hogan versus Gang. Oh. Or it was more than likely Hogan versus Kamala in the main event. Nice. Hogan came out with the title. We were recording Saturday night's main event because we knew this match was on. Like now you, th- you knew how to program your VCR? Only Jeff and I did. My parents didn't know how to do yeah, it. Yeah, that was complicated. It was, but dude, we figured it out. No problem. The tricky part for us was we couldn't figure out how Hogan was wrestling on one side of the country in a cage match. At the same time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. That he was wrestling in the main event against, I think it was Kamala at the Oakland Coliseum. So we were recording Saturday Night's main event. We finished at the Coliseum. And dude, we're telling my dad to like haul ass out of the parking lot. Because we've got to get home to watch Hogan versus Orndorff in the cage. And you're like a 10-minute drive. Well, the problem is getting out of the parking lot. Well, right, It's a 10-minute drive with no traffic. Once you hit the freeway. Once you hit the freeway, straight shot, boom, you're good. It's getting out of the parking lot. So we're like frantic, dude. Like, we've got to see what happens. Again, young kids. I think this was, what, 87, 86? It was 86. It was... um. Yeah, eighty. I think January. I'm 11 years old. Like, this is real to me, damn it. I've got to know what happens. <laughs> Haul ass, dad. Pedal to the metal. Get the fuck out of this parking lot. Hogan Orndorff in a cage. Did he drive with two feet? <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> so that's my memory of this match is, okay, he beat Kamala that night by pinfall. We get home, it gets to that finish where both guys touch the floor at the same time, and it's like, well, wait a second. Hogan had the belt in the Coliseum. Now we're watching this match, 
he might lose it to Orndorff. What the hell happened? Oh, yeah, that's interesting. So when that all went down, we're completely confused. Like, there's no way Hogan loses this match because we just saw him with the title a half an hour ago. Right. So it was it was mind-blowing to us, but it's a very, very vivid memory of being at the house show and then coming home and watching this match I had never seen before where they went to a replay to judge the outcome of the match because then they had to restart it. Hogan started whipping ass. Hogan ended up winning. Right. But it's one of the most memorable matches for me of all time. Okay. Because yeah, me of too. that moment. Me too. Yeah. Okay. I have a totally different... That's really cool. We both... It's a really memorable match for both of us for very different reasons. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, the show got... Check this out. The show got a 10.6 rating. Which the Nielsen ratings are kind of complicated to figure out, but that equates to about 17 million people. About 17 million people watched that match. Unbelievable. Isn't that crazy? So Raw is like lucky to get 2 million views. SmackDown's about the same. AEW's about a million. 17 million fucking people watched that show. Which is crazy because like, okay, it's that long ago, most people didn't have cable, so most people could only get local channels, which, depending on your market, are between, like, five and maybe 15 channels, I think, here. Yeah. We we were in, like, the number five market. We get about a dozen local channels. 17 million motherfuckers watch that match. Like, that's huge. According to Wikipedia, uh-huh. this is one of the most profitable feuds of all time. It's and at- when it was all said and done, it went for six months. Okay, so I have some numbers on that later. Um, okay. So I have that exactly. I put I put the feud went, went six months. Um, so after it was over, he left with an arm injury. Well, let's and not forget, they main, main evented the big event in Toronto. Yes. 75,000 plus, dude. Which was the first, that was the first stadium show WWE had ever, not the first stadium show because they'd done Shea Stadium, but that was the biggest stadium show they'd ever done at that point. I don't know who else they could have put in that match with Hogan at that time Mm -hmm. that would have drawn 75K plus. Yeah, we can, um, Adam, do you want to look up if this was the most, uh, the biggest attendance for a wrestling show at this point? But at that point, all right. Um, yeah, and I know WWE had done Shea Stadium. I know back in like the fifties they do um, Comiskey, places like that. But um, yeah, it was a huge show. Well, um, I mean, let's put it in perspective because WrestleMania three famously ninety three thousand and some change. Right. This was only eighteen k fewer than that, and this was Mister Wonderful yeah. in the ring against Hogan, not Andre the Giant. That's true. Yeah, incredible, incredible right. draw, and I don't dispute it when it says it's one of the most profitable feuds ever. Right? Oh no, it's. I mean, without question, it's one of the most pro- uh, profitable feuds ever. And like you said, it went on for months. And yep. this is when WWE was like huge, huge, huge. Like I said, it was 17 million people watching on TV or whatever yep. it was. So he leaves. He he was working with an arm injury for a long time, but he he didn't want to. He didn't say anything. He he didn't want to go off the road because he was making so much money. That's so old school. Because today, they would be yanked immediately. The medical staff wouldn't let that shit fly. They'd be like, nope, you're off the card. We'll find somebody else. There's going to be a substitute. But, but fucking 86, dude. 
there there wasn't that element of a medical staff that was going to yank you from the card. It was kind of the honor system, and Orndorff didn't say shit. He's like, nah, let's draw that money, son. Exactly, yeah. So he came back a little later um, as a heel, and he got a babyface reaction. They loved him. So right yeah, so away- he rehabbed. Like he he got over the arm injury. He came mm-hmm. back. Yeah. So he came back. They they booked him as a heel. He turned babyface because he had to. Then they put him with Sir Oliver Humperdinck, which was completely unnecessary. He didn't need a manager. The dude was great no, on the mic. Yep. Nobody needed Oliver Humperdinck. Oliver Humperdinck sucked. Yeah. He was like we've talked about this several times. He was the worst manager of the eighties. The worst. He was just a complete waste. He didn't need to be there. No, he was a complete waste. Bam Bam didn't need him, and Orndorff certainly didn't need him. Yeah, but at this point, he was sort of, I don't want to say past his prime, but just kind of his best days were were behind him. His last big match in WWE was at the first Survivor Series. He teamed with Hogan, Bam Bam, Bam Bam, um, Patera, and Morocco, and they wrestled Andre, Gang, Rude, and uh, Butch Reed. Yep. And then he kind of quit wrestling for a while to run a bowling alley, which I was kind of surprised by. And I was like, I wonder if that's the bowling alley that Marty Chinetti used to buy weed behind. Oh. <laughs> Where he killed the dude at with a brick. <laughs> yeah, he killed the dude with the brick. Well, let's <laughs> yeah. not forget, too, Mr. Wonderful, because of that injury, he missed WrestleMania three. Yes, he did. That would have been a huge payday for huge him. Huge payday, yeah. But here's the rub, right? He went through that huge feud with Hogan. The money that he made from that, I would imagine, made it easier for him to be like, okay, fuck it. I'm going to miss WrestleMania three. Gigantic payday. Doesn't matter who I'm on the card with. I made all this money with Hogan. Let's just rehab it. I'll come back, be strong. Right. Maybe look forward to WrestleMania four. Unfortunately, like you said, the last big match he had, Survivor Series, unceremoniously eliminated by Ravishing Rick Rude. Yeah, that was sort of it for him. That was it, dude. Yeah, then he went to WCW. He was in the Dudes with Attitude with Junkyard Dog, Sting, Luger, and the Steiners, which is a yes. terrible, terrible name for everyone but him and Luger. Yeah. You know what I mean? Do you think of Dog as a dude with an attitude? No. Or the Steiners? God, it was so, so awful. But it was based around Sting's surfer character. So yeah. But it it was... made sense, but... Who they surrounded him with didn't make much sense. Yeah, it was bad. Um, then he went to Herb Abrams' UWF. <laughs> and he worked with Dr. Death and uh, Bob Orton again. He won the Southern States Championship. And I was like, the Southern States Championship? Wasn't that out of L.A.? Dude, they had so many championships over there. And you'd, you'd, they have like 12 of them. And UWF was only like one hour once a week. For Why like, do you have so many fucking titles? Yeah, for like six months or a year or something. What the fuck? That's an episode. We we <laughs> we got to do an episode on UWF. Yeah, but the dark side of the ring already did it, dude. Like, But they weren't drunk. Good point. They mm. were not drunk. Right? Yeah. All right, I'm down. That yeah. dude did coke. Like, that's enough for me. Let's talk <laughs> right. about that for an hour. Yeah, let's get drunk and talk about <laughs> that. Yeah. Like, I don't know if Cornette drinks. I'm pretty sure Russo doesn't fucking drink. So, yeah, let's like, get drunk and talk about coke booking. <laughs> yeah. Um, he went to Smoky Mountain for a minute after that, but then he ended up in WCW. I had no idea he kept wrestling in WCW until Fall Brawl 2000. 
Really? You, so yeah. you didn't know about his later WCW run? I knew he was there, but I didn't know he was there that long. Okay, so let's kind of mirror his career up to Brutus the Barber Beefcake. So Beefcake, like Orndorff, debuted in 84, mm-hmm. was gone from the WWF in 1993. He won one title, Brutus Beefcake. One title, and it was a tag team championship. With Orndorff. Uh, no, he won the tag team championship with Greg Valentine. Oh, yeah, 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 Valentine, sorry. Paul Orndorff debuted, or was born in the WWF the same night as Hulkamania was born. Right. Left in 88. Left with zero gold around his waist. Yeah. Brutus won one championship, Orndorff zero. Orndorff, much like Brutus, moves on to WCW, but unlike Brutus... Didn't need Hogan to get him a job. Okay. And I would argue had his greatest success as a singles competitor in terms of being decorated in WCW for a career that lasted in ring, you could argue about two years. Two to three years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's... Well, and we I'm can ne- go into his, his, his WCW career, but... It's funny how it kind of mirrors Brutus's a little bit. Brutus yeah. never held gold in WCW, but Orndorff did and had his greatest run in WCW. Yeah, yeah. That I didn't really think about it that way. It was just weird that WCW was completely willing. Like, and Orndorff is kind of—I don't want to call him a shell of his former self, but he wasn't the same because right. of the injury in WCW that he was in WWF. But they hell of decorated him in WCW. Yeah, that's true. And he he had that little arm, like his arm was all fucked up. Well, yeah, it like and, and but they were like his entire right side went into atrophy. Yeah, but they were like, hey, he works with Hogan. Like, take care of him. You know, make him a big star. You know, and they really did. So I kind of love WCW for that. Like they kind of treated Orndorff. Maybe the way he should have been treated in the WWF, like we didn't really address that. We've made a big deal about Orndorff. Mm-hmm. Why wasn't he ever made a tag team champion? Why wasn't he ever at least made a mid card champion? Let's ask the bigger question: Why did he never beat Hogan at least for like a small run? Yeah, and then Hogan could have beat him again. If anything, you would have increased Hogan's title win count. And you would have recognized a guy like Orndorff for what he did for the Federation in those six months that he was in one of the most profitable feuds of all time. And you could have had a few more big money matches. Exactly, because now you've got Hogan chasing the title. Mm -hmm. Yes, the big money was in Hogan-Andre, but there was also big money in this. Yeah, that's just the way Vince booked things back then, you know? It was like guys chasing Hogan. Yeah, it was the same thing. Backlund was champion for years. Bruno was champion for years. That's just the way he did things. And then long term champions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I love WCW for putting titles and we'll get into that. I love WCW for putting titles and gold around Orndorff's waist because he ultimately deserved that. Totally. And I love them for that, dude. They recognize his accomplishments and they decorated him for it. I completely agree. Yeah, and then after, so he retired in 2000, he ran the power plant, and we talked about whoever on the last episode, was it, um... O'Hare? 
O'Hare, Sean O'Hare. He trained Sean O'Hare. Yeah. He and trained that was, the natural born thrillers. And when I read that he retired because of an injury, I was like, man, he should have started run, running the power plant a few years earlier, you know. Um, but he went to the WWE Hall of Fame in 2005. We were there for that. That was yep. L.A. at the yep. uh, Universal Amphitheater. And he did one of my favorite speeches of all time. Um, it definitely would have been the best speech of the night if the Iron Sheik hadn't gone in the same night. <laughs> that was a heavy class, dude. It was a great... It, it's probably the best ever. Oh, by far, yeah, because that was the first one where you could buy tickets to it. So they fucking booked the shit out of it. Like, they picked yep. all the... Because it, it would have been Hogan, Sheik, Jimmy Hart. Um, Mr. Wonderful. Wonderful. Was it Nikolai? Did Nikolai go in? I that? think Nikolai went in, yep. And I want to say... Piper. Piper. Yeah. I mean, it was a strong class. But he did one of the greatest speeches of all time. So Bobby Heenan inducted him. So Bobby Heenan does his whole uh, shtick. Which you've already won us over at that point. You've got Heenan up there inducting a guy. Okay, we're sold. Yeah. So Orndorff comes out and he says, Bobby, what does F-I-R-E-D spell? And Heenan goes, again? And Orndorff says, get your ass out of here. (laughs) And then he cuts this killer heel promo. He got himself booed. Which nobody gets themselves booed during a Hall of Fame speech. It was fantastic. Who does that at the Hall? They're there to yeah. celebrate you. He gets himself booed, and then he says, "You see what I did? I got, I manipulated you, and I got you to act the way I wanted you to act, and I got you to boo me because I can do that because I'm one of the greatest of all time." <laughs> Amazing. And then he ends up getting chance for Hogan. It was so good. It was so good. Um, he had us in the palm of his hand. He really did. Yeah, and I, I think he went on before Sheik, and a couple of them before were just okay, but he really like picked that crowd up. He was, he did what Paul Orndorff does, and um, I loved, I loved every second of it. And a couple last notes. Um, he or one last note. He um, celebrity net worth says he was worth a hundred thousand dollars. Because okay. you just type his name in and that's what comes up, and I was like, no, there's no way he's worth a hundred thousand dollars. Like he did all those, he did all those feuds with Hogan. He had a bowling alley. I was like, this is uh, fucked up. I mean, up. video games and action figures. That has too, to be yeah. way more than that, dude. Right? You think the dude would be loaded? But yes. then I, but then I looked into it, dude. They did a GoFundMe to bury the fucking guy. Are you serious? So he was broke. Yeah. Which I didn't know that. Yeah. Which to be honest, like. You know, you always hear like people die broke and it's like sad. I'm like, nah, you died broke because you spent all your money and had a good time. I hope that's what happened. I hope that's what happened too. But I was like, how is that even possible? So I started doing some math, right? So I was like, okay, what did a ticket to a show cost in 1987? So I went on um, eBay and started looking at ticket stubs. I found, I think it was Pittsburgh. A ticket on the 100 level in 1987 was $12. So I did the math. So I said 15,000 tickets, right, at an average of $12, right, which that's about a regular arena, you know, 15,000. And okay. most of those shows were sold out. That's a $180,000 gate. So now I remember hearing Jim Ross several years ago on his podcast talking about the way they pay wrestlers. And he said a third of the gate goes to the talent. And he said a third of that goes to the main event. So a third of $180,000 is $60,000. That's the money that gets paid out to the talent. So the main split's 30. So the main split's 30, a third of that, 
which yeah. that amounts to twenty twenty thousand dollars, right? On a hundred eighty thousand dollars, hundred eighty thousand dollar gate, the main event splits uh, twenty thousand dollars. So now let's say okay, Hogan takes a bigger cut. It's um, say t- Hogan takes um, thirteen thousand of it. Paul Orndorff gets seven thousand dollars. Seven thousand guy was making seven thousand dollars a night for that long, and Hogan was wrestling four hundred nights a year at that point. <laughs> what the fuck did he do with his money? All I can say you is I figure ho- Orndorff was doing like at least five nights a week, right? Yeah. So okay, five nights a week. What's seven times five? Is that and five. sometimes twice a day they would hit two towns. Yeah, yeah, man. I I just hope he had a good time with that fucking money. Him and Flair. Yeah, him and Flair. Yeah, yeah, and was, yeah. And I was like, private jets, limousines. Yeah, when I read it, I was like, man, that's so sad. But I was like, maybe it's not. You know, maybe it's maybe he died broke because he had a good time. So, in other words, a wonderful time matching. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And also, one last thing I want to say about him: he was great because he was not one of those guys who got out of wrestling and became bitter. I saw a lot of quotes from him where he talked about how great Hogan was, and Hogan's the greatest of all time, and Vince McMahon was the greatest promoter of all time, and the WWE was so good, and blah, 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 you know, like all this stuff. Like, he's one of those guys who had a great run in wrestling, got out, and had a very positive attitude about it after, and like, you like, it's good to see that, you know? Yep. He did sue the company. He got involved with that lawsuit over the concussions, but... uh, Well, everybody did. There were so many guys wrapped up in that. Yeah, I heard Adam's part of that. Hey, student loans. I mean, gotta gotta give it a shot. And that's about all I got to say about uh, Paul Orndorff. Also, really quick, uh, Toronto drew 74,000. That did set the record. Closest was Shea Stadium. It was practically double what uh, they drew in. Fucking A. Paul Orndorff. And that takes care of our Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff tribute episode. We hope you had a fantastic time uh, listening to this. Great stories told by Eddie and Scott. And not me, because just wasn't me. But uh, <laughs> before you weren't even born. Yeah, but uh, I mean, the name has been thrown around several times. Uh, I think I did remember seeing the Hogan birthday segment on raw he showed up but obviously it was just a name so therefore i uh that i heard therefore i know he did have a great impact uh uh in in the 80s and the 90s as well exactly all right we hope you all enjoyed please uh let us know any other paul orndorff uh, memories that uh uh, you have to share on our uh, social media platforms. Please leave us reviews wherever you hear the podcast uh, so that we can keep this drunk wrestling adventure going. With that said, with Eddie and Scott, I'm Adam reminding you to please follow Common Sense Safety Measures, Jerry Buzz, watch wrestling responsibly, drink like nobody's watching, and we will see you for another great episode. Let's uh, finish it off one. Two, three, Mr. Wonderful, we love you. Cheers. Number wonderful. Two, one, all-